Good morning again, Christ Community Church. If you would be turning in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, we'll be in verses 1 through 9 this morning. As we engage with Solomon's fifth lecture, uh, here's the key truth that we want to walk away with. That we are to cultivate God's wisdom into life-giving insights through loving relationships with those faithful examples from previous generations in our spheres of influence. I know that's a mouthful, but each of that, all of that's very important, so let me read it again. We are to cultivate God's wisdom into life-giving insights through loving relationship with those faithful examples from previous generations in our spheres of influence. If you would, give your attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. This is Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we step into this fifth lecture this morning in this text, uh, I, I wanted to ask us a, a question for us to consider. Um, what impact does someone else's passion for you and for a given subject have on your learning and growing in that subject? I think many of us could give wonderful examples of either a family member, uh, a parent, or a teacher, uh, or even a friend, a uh, friend of the family who came alongside of us and evidenced a deep care and respect and love for us uh, while also sharing with us some great insight or some, some, some knowledge that has changed and affected how we live and how we look at the world. Uh, Susan and I have that benefit in, in, in that we have friends who, who deeply love literature, and, and, and uh, she was actually our, our professor in, in college that, that passed along to us a deep affection for words, a deep affection for beauty, a deep affection for well-told well stories, and it has had a profound impact on us. I also had a, a teacher in high school in my 11th grade year. He was a Vietnam veteran who was, who was hard on me, uh, but I knew he loved me, uh, and I knew that he cared for me, and, and, and again, that had a big impact on my understanding and love for the written word, for, for literature itself, and so that continues to pay dividends, and so much of that was because I, I knew that that he loved both me and the subject and he was passing along and, and she, my college professor, is passing along uh, that deep affection for those things. And it's affected much of how I live. It's affected much of how I receive and live out wisdom. And so it's one of the great gifts that we receive when someone loves both us and something that they want to share with us. It always works better when someone shares something with us out of a, out of a relational um, in, a, in a relational context, as opposed to either us being treated as commodity or the subject being treated as commodity in some form or fashion. 
And so this is just wisdom. This is essentially what Solomon is now trying to pass along and, and add to the things that he's been teaching is that we need to gain not just knowledge, but insight. Insight is, is deeper than just knowledge. Insight is actually us being able to uh, get below the surface and think things through, know how things work and work according to the grain of, of God's creation and the fear of the Lord. Insight allows us to use wisdom for the relationships that we have to live the good life. And he's adding to that 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 needs to happen in a broader community that's generational, that we need to benefit uh, from the various uh, faithful examples that, that ought be in some of our spheres of influence somewhere. And we need to be uh, intentional about pursuing that and receiving what they have to offer. So let's uh, look at the text and see how wisdom's crown is the gift of faithful examples from previous generations. He says, hear, O sons. Now, that should cause us to pause for a second because previously he has not addressed a, a, a crowd. He's not addressed a, a plurality of people Lady Wisdom has, as she has cried aloud to the simpleton and the fool and the wicked and, and, and those in the marketplace. But this is the first time that the teacher himself is speaking to more than one person. Now, what that seems to indicate is that some folks, there's been fruit born from Lady Wisdom's effort crying aloud in the marketplace. There's been fruit born from the, the son or the, the heir himself living out, loving God, loving his neighbor, such that now others want to grow and hear and learn from this wisdom. So this is the first time we see this plural here, and, and that seems meaningful. He, said, he goes on to say stuff that we've heard before, but with, with a little bit of nuance. He says, and be attentive. He, we've heard that all along. It is our responsibility. We can't lose sight of that to be actively involved in listening actively involved in seeking, actively involved in gleaning wisdom. Uh, be attentive that you may gain insight. And it's not that he hadn't used the word insight before, but it actually is going to appear three times in these nine verses. And that signals uh, uh, to us the, the intensity of the word itself and the focus on the word itself. And so insight is different than just knowing something. Insight means you can take what you know and live it out in such a way that it reflects wisdom. Insight means that you, you can you gain discernment. You're able to um, uh, take what you know and apply it. It, it's, it. it becomes knowledge becomes practical. It's not just in the head. And that's critical to us because too often, much of our Christianity is just head knowledge. And it's not actually lived out, which makes it noxious to, to people in so many ways. It's divorced oftentimes from our behavior. We, we say we believe this, but where's the actual evidence that it, that it is lived out? And Christianity is intended to be lived out in word and deed. And so that's critical for us to keep asking ourselves of what I believe. Have I gained insight into how to live it out? For many of you who've been in the the groups that I'm a part of, I'm constantly pressing and asking, so what? So what? If, if you're part of union with Christ is that you are resurrected to newness of life with Him, so what? What does that mean for how you live day to day? If union with Christ means that you have, you're justified in His death, that you no longer have shame and guilt, so what does that mean? How do you live that out versus just declaring I'm justified or I'm resurrected? right? And so, or we have access to all the heavenly blessings. Okay. 
So what? How does that affect uh, what you do day in and day out? And I believe it was Walker Percy who said, you know, the great existential question is, what am I supposed to do on an ordinary Wednesday afternoon? And so essentially he said that what, what is being offered here by the teacher is that insight, the insight into how to live in the ordinary and the day-to-day, which is why so many of the Proverbs that we'll get to after Advent are going to show us that they really just apply to the everyday, where we do business, um, how we love our neighbors, how we treat the poor, how we just live out our days. Not necessarily anything magnanimous or fantastic, although those things can happen a bit. Insight means how you live out the day-to-day so that it's meaningful. Right? Because as Ecclesiastes tells us, as we hear from the Psalms and even the Proverbs points to, life is fleeting. It's ephemeral. It's brief in many respects. So we want to gain, we want to go beyond just knowledge and know how to live that out. And he says, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said. And so again, Uh, Solomon is letting us a little bit behind the curtain and many think that this is stuff specifically that David said to Solomon that he's passing on to us. Um, And and again, we've heard the, the things before about not forsaking and these kinds of things, but this is the first time the teacher is revealing something about himself and letting the student in on the process, the reality that he, he once was a student remains a student as we are called to be because just because we are a disciple who makes disciples doesn't mean we cease being a disciple. We're always learning. But he's, he's, he's actually welcoming the student students in this case in, uh, in a very relational fashion. He's sharing part of his story. Now this is, this is something that I think we, there's a capital here that we, we are failing to, to make use of in many respects. Too often, our own children don't know our stories. Now, again, obviously at different ages, different aspects of our story are appropriate for our children to hear. Um, but, but our children need to hear how we have struggled and the gospel has helped us through to remind us that shame and guilt don't have the final say on us. Our children need to hear that we have made mistakes and have lived to tell about it because of forgiveness contra the cancel culture. Our children need to hear how we have wrestled with the truths of the gospel and and arrived at uh, orthodox places. Our children need to hear there's things we're still struggling with, but in a way that's healthy and good and and evidences a fear of the Lord. Our children need to hear uh, of our experiences with neighbors and family members and life. And too often... Because they're around, we just assume that they're picking up on it or maybe they heard it at some point in time and stuff is easy to forget and learning is very often contextual. And so you want to be careful that you don't turn every moment into some weird after school special, but there needs to be a place where we share our stories, where we share our prayers, where we share our fears, our doubts, our hopes, even more importantly, with our children. Um, And we need to do that with each other as a church. So often uh, we, we, we don't share what's really going on because we're ashamed, because we've forgotten the truth of the gospel that actually when you're ashamed, you get to run boldly to the throne of grace because of what Christ has done for you. You get to receive both mercy and grace in a time of trouble, and that should be shared. Um, my, our struggles as parents, they need to be offered up to the coming generations because they're going to struggle as parents. Our struggles with money, 
our, our, our difficulties with, with our, and the things that we've learned, even more importantly, in wisdom, our struggles in marriage, our struggles in relationships, these things, they need to be shared, especially where there is wisdom and resolution such that God could be glorified. And too often we're keeping that from each other um, because we're, we're afraid to look broken. Well, you are. That's why Jesus came. We're all broken. That's why we need a Savior. And so it's, it's critical that we get past this idea that we could have ever been perfect. Um, I have people say to me from time to time, well, you know I'm not perfect. And I, I bristle at that because it's actually a bad use of language. That was never on the table. You, me, any of us being perfect has never been part of the story. Never been possible. Uh, n- never even been a thing. So to throw that out as an excuse or throw that out as some reason is actually just foolishness. There's no wisdom in even thinking that way. And so we want to be a people who, who are able to offer up our broken cups, who are able to share our stories with one another in relationship where it's appropriate for the good of both uh, in a generational fashion. Let's hear what, what Solomon's father shared with him. He says, let your heart Hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. We, we've heard some of these things before. So Solomon's just saying, this is where I got this from. My dad gave it to me and I'm, I'm, I've previously passed on to you and I'm passing on to you again. There's something important here. He says, get wisdom, get insight. There's that word again. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. So what we see here is, is something we've heard before and we need to hear again. Wisdom is not something that you attain to and you can move on from. You must continue to cultivate it. If it is not lived out, if it is not used in insight, if it's not used in the places where you live, it regresses, it diminishes, it goes away in a sense. And so we've got to recognize the necessity for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us both gain, maintain, and prosper the wisdom that we've been given. And so we, we, we too often um, treat it as, as something once gained and then put away as opposed to returning to it again and again. I see this all the time with people in terms of, of their understanding of their own salvation, their own justification, and, and certainly their, their resurrected newness in, in Christ and even their sanctification. They see that as, a, all right, yeah, I, that, that's been dealt with and now I'm on to something else. That now, I'm now set free to live my life any way I want to. Well, that's not true. Salvation is actually something that is not actually fully completed until Christ returns and our lives that are hidden with Him on high are revealed, meaning revealed for what they really are. And so it is in glorification that salvation is actually fully completed. Now, did I just say that none of us are actually saved? No, that's not what I said. What I am saying is salvation is an ongoing process in which you are called to participate in the sanctification portion. Justification was taken care of by Christ. Glorification is sealed in Christ. But in sanctification, this is where we get to grow in our understanding and love of the treasure that we have been given, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the union with Christ, the firm foundation on which we stand, God's love for us. And so what what Solomon was being told by David is you've got to keep at this. You've got to keep coming back to the, to the character and the person of God. You've got to keep coming back to his commandments, which will lead you to love him and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, beginning in verse 6, Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. 
The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> it's like, okay, Captain, obvious. Like, what was I supposed to do? But his point actually is very important because we often think the beginning of wisdom is a lot of other things, that we have to garner other things. No, to get wisdom means you have to go to the faithful ones who've come before. You have to go to, and, and we do that in part through God's Word. You do know God's Word is a book of the faithful who have gone before us and wrote down what, what God told them, saying the power of the Holy Spirit. And so one way we get wisdom is we get into the words of the faithful who've gone before us. We are to engage, Titus 2 tells us to, to do this, we are to engage with those who've gone before, who are faithful in, in, in other generations. Think about how Satan has gotten us in our present culture to be so divided generationally. Boomer not a nice term. Millennial is not really a good term in most people's mouth. Gen Z has its own set of complications. And the tough part about this is none of those terms actually reflect the truth of those generations in full. Nothing is monolithic. And we are foolish to think that it is. And we're foolish to let ourselves be divided from one another in this fashion. And so so much of what we are being called to do is, is to pursue and glean from the faithful who've gone before because as, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, there is nothing that you have that you didn't get from someone else. There, there, you've, you have created nothing. Uh, and so it is only you've taken what has come before and either you've added to it, built it up, encouraged it, or you've torn it down. And so it's, it's critical for us that our discipleship be multi-generational. And unfortunately, again, think of how Satan has gotten the church for decades to buy into this affinity groups. And, and so one of the challenges is to look around our own lives and say, in my spheres of influence, do I have anyone speaking into my life from another generation who is faithful and gone before? And again, let me caution you on something. Too often we think, well, I can't speak into someone's life because I made mistakes. Oh, you're exactly who we need to hear from. It is in making mistakes and living to tell about it and being able to walk in newness of life and forgiveness uh, that, that that's what we need to hear. To hear from somebody who got it all right and who seemed to be just amazing, most people can't live up to those kinds of examples. And so, so we need, we need folks who have tasted of the ash of, of brokenness and sin and yet have drank deep of the living water that is offered in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we, we need to assess where are we gleaning this from from those who have come before. And if you don't have any faithful examples in your spheres of influence, you need to get active. You need to be attentive. You need to take responsibility and find some. And sit down with them. Build a relationship. Notice all this relational language about wisdom. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. That's a relationship. And so this is not commodity. We're not trafficking in ideas. We're not just gleaning for personal gain and benefit. No, we're building relationships across generations for the sake of the gospel. And we know that the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Again, notice the deep relational language, the intimacy that is, is part of this. Uh, and too often we, we are not engaged intimately with wisdom. We're not engaged, in, and I'm using that term as closeness, not in a, any sort of sexual or strange way. 
but to really know and to really know you've got to be around and be involved with, right? You, you, you've, got to, you've got to live it out in, on a regular basis. It has to be um, something that is, it becomes part of who you are. And then here's the reward. And she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is similar language to what you hear Paul talking about in 2 Timothy 4 when he's talking about his life coming to an end. And he says that he, he, he longs to have the crown of life placed upon his head uh, when he comes before Christ. James 1.12 says something very similar, that, that, that the crown of life is given to, to those who are faithful. And so this, this is not a, not, not a victory crown in the sense that we are separated from other people. No, it is actually the crown that was due us in our honor and glory. That's why we read Psalm 8 for our call to worship. What are we that you would be mindful of us, that you would crown us with honor and glory? And that same psalm is picked up and used in reference to Christ in Hebrews chapter 2. And so we who are in Christ are crowned with honor and glory. And so we should receive that, uh, recognizing our worth in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone. Our worth is not endemic to us, and our worth is not established by works. Our worth is based on God's declaring His love for us and condescending to redeem us. And that is so profound that it will take us an eternity to even begin to appreciate it. And so while we're in this life, we, we should seek to grow in our understanding and gain insight into God's love for us and His redemption of us in Christ, who fills us with the Holy Spirit, who grants us access to all the heavenly blessings. You may say, most days, I don't, I don't feel like that's true. Well, feelings and opinions aren't the arbiters of truth. And so God's Word is. And so, so if, if that's what's declared of us, we need to strain and lean into that. We need to seek to understand that. We need to stare long at the person and work of Christ, at the character of God. Because think about how you are maybe being affected these days by the bad behavior of other Christians, things that are being said online, things that are being written, things that are being, videos being shared, all these kinds of things and how discouraging that can be. Well, that's, the Bible said those things would happen. The Bible did not lie to us as if everything was going to be great when you became a Christian and everybody would behave the same. No, it's messy from here to the new heavens and new earth. Always has been, always will be. But we want to be fixed on something good, and that is God's love for us in Christ, which is is His wisdom most beautifully displayed toward us. We want to be crowned with honor and glory because of the wisdom that we have gained and the insight that we have gained. We want to love God and our neighbors as we love ourselves with this wisdom and insight. We have, church, we have a brilliant opportunity with the culture convulsing all around us, an election, a divisive election that is, is who knows what will be uh, the, the, the implications of, who knows what, what the aftermath will be. Um, but what we do know is that as Christians, we will lose nothing of eternal value. That as Christians, we will continue, regardless of, of what goes on, to have opportunities 
to love people in such a way that it could transform their eternity, the thing that matters the most in this world. And so we need to be cultivating that cross-generationally. We need to be pursuing that. And for those of us uh, who, who are further along, giving away what we have to the generations that are coming in a relational fashion, not in some cranky, uh, condescending, in the worst sense of that word, way, right? Uh, blaming uh, sinners for acting like sinners or blaming those who don't have wisdom for not having wisdom, I, I, that's not helpful. And so, so what we do need to do is, is be uh, those who come alongside, who, who befriend, who love, who disciple in relationship. Uh, and so listen to what Derek Kidner says about this passage. He says, this linking of the three generations, verses one and three and following, demonstrates, and the three generations are the sons who are being taught, uh, Solomon and David, so those are the three generations present, demonstrates how a love of the best things will be transmitted mainly by personal influence along the channels of affections. Did you hear what he just said? What you love is often what gets translated. And so I think some of us need to ask, wait, what is it I actually love? Do I love conflict? Do I, do I love being right? Do I love being better? Because that's what you're, you're transmitting. That's what you're giving away to whoever's around you generationally. That's what they're picking up on. But instead, would it be better that our affections would be for the things of the Lord, for redemption, for forgiveness, um, for restoration? Oh, man, what a gift that would be to the coming generations that are looking at us going, how did y'all mess this up this bad? And they're going to learn. Messed it up this bad because we're human and we're fallen. Uh, and that's how it goes east of Eden. And so he goes on to say, the approach is positive. The teacher is far less interested in don'ts, though they have their place, see 327 through 31, than in getting the pupil to see that he has offered the secret of being really alive, and therefore to cooperate by cultivating his own love of the wisdom which is that secret. And so Kidner's saying is that it's in relationship based on our affections, both for the person and for the subject, that things are, are, are given away, that they truly transmit from one generation to the next. So here's my question for us, and this is a, these are important questions. Um, who from the, faith, from the faithful and previous generations are you cultivating and gaining life-giving insights from in your spheres of influence? Now, I very specifically kept, I was going to cut spheres of influence because I felt like that's eh, kind of inherent and redundant. No, I think it's important that it's in there because too often uh, we're not looking around in the various places we are to see what previous faithful generational uh, capital the Lord has placed in these different places. And it is our responsibility to glean from it, to, to go and build a relationship with these people and ask good questions and listen attentively. And so if you don't have someone from, that's faithful from a previous generation currently involved in your life, you need to pursue it somewhere, somehow. You need to pray that the Lord would open your eyes to it. You need to pray that the Lord would bring somebody. It may take years. Certainly in my case, uh, it, it was a number of years. I had been praying for a mentor for so long. 
Um, and just nothing ever seemed to quite work out. I would be intentional about trying to meet with older guys, especially when we were living in Macon, meeting with older guys uh, who I had heard were faithful. And it just, I don't know what if it was me, if it was them, or what was going on, but it just never worked out. And so I come here to Christ Community, and lo and behold, Dr. Sam Larson is here. A uh, professor of mine from college who so faithfully served in the interim when, when Mike had stepped down and before I, I came on board. And, and Sam poured into me in the, in the few months that I had with him. It was such a gift. And then when he left, I was just, I was crushed. I was like, oh, come on. But the Lord has recently again uh, provided on, on a couple of different fronts some, some folks who, have, who are 30 years ahead, 20 years ahead of me, 30 years ahead of me, um, that, are, that are so graciously um, bearing up my questions and my pushing against things and my wrestling with things. It has been such a gift to me. And so I, I, Scripture calls for us to, to pursue it. Titus 2 tells us it ought to be part and parcel of the life of the church. Um, and so this other question is actually important too. Uh, it's who from the coming generations are you helping to cultivate life-giving insights in your spheres of influence? See, it's not enough for you to garner it and use it as insight just as example. It, it's also important that you intentionally also pursue giving it away. So for, for those of you in our congregation, and I know this is such a, a difficult time to have this conversation because of COVID and the risks for so many of, of, of those of you who are older and at greater risk, and especially with flu season coming, I understand. But Zoom, email, and, and the telephone, uh, you, you can, I don't, at current, cannot catch COVID or the flu over any of those three things. And so those are ways in which, and even letter writing, uh, ways in which we can be encouraging to the coming generations and even begin to build relationships. I love the fact that, that big sister, little sister still goes on. Um, I, I want to see more of that in our congregation, that, that, that our children are, are seeing our faithfulness. They desperately need to because so much of what they're taking in actually is, is, um, is too much evidence of unfaithfulness and bad, Christian, bad examples of Christianity. So they need flesh and blood examples of folks who care about uh, the variety of issues concerning reconciliation both now and not yet. They desperately need to see that there are people who genuinely care about their future and stewarding uh, the variety of things that have been entrusted to us well so that they will have a future instead of us exhausting what we have and saying, good luck. They desperately need to see examples of, of people who are quick to forgive, uh, uh, radical in reconciliation and, and, and restoration. Um, they need to see, desperately need to see examples of faithfulness and the fear of the Lord, people who are growing and becoming more righteous, just, and equitable as an encouragement to them and a call to them to do the same. And so we need to be, we also need to be um, uh, attentive to those opportunities and praying for those. That's difficult. We don't have much going on children's ministry-wise right now. We, we have some things going on youth ministry-wise. And so be thinking about, be creative. This is an area where we can be incredibly creative. We have lots of avenues that we could do this. But we, we long to be a church that values the multi-generational. Um, and that doesn't, it just doesn't come natural. To us, we're much more into the affinity groups. For some, for some reason, we, we like to have the blind lead the blind. For some reason, and so what does Proverbs four one through nine teach us? Well, it teaches us that we are to cultivate God's wisdom into life giving insights 
through loving relationships with those faithful examples from previous generation in our spheres of influence. Would you join me in praying that our church would become a, a rich, multi-generational, faithful church that helps the coming generations not be defined by, by sinful boundaries and sinful monoliths, not be denigrated by the terms that we use for them and they use for us. Would you join me in praying that we, we would be a church so filled with hope that the coming generations would seek us out and want to know, how is it you have so much hope in a world so broken? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us and you grant us a remnant always. So there is, we are without excuse in terms of finding uh, faithful people among the previous generations. Your word has made it very clear there will always be, at minimum, some, some handful, if not more. And so would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear where we are maybe missing some of the faithful examples in our various spheres of influence. They don't have to be just members of our church. They don't even have to be members of our denomination. They're faithful people all across the board. And help us to, to have the courage and, and the, the wisdom to glean from them, uh, to pursue a relationship with these folks and honor their experience and to give them a chance to tell their stories in such ways that will be encouraging and edifying to them. Help us to honor the generations that have gone before us. And Lord, we also pray that you would help us to recognize the generations that are coming after us and how we are to steward those generations uh, relationally, not as a commodity. And that we are not to place our hope on them. Our hope is in you. And that's what we are to teach them to hope in you and not they shouldn't be hoping in us either. But what we do is we hope in you. Uh, because we know that the victory is won in Christ. The battle is actually over and that this is just the time between the now and the not yet for the family to grow bigger. And so thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness with us. Uh, help us to, to grow in this way as a church that we would value the generations, that we would value wisdom and that we would value the opportunity to share it in relationship. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.